Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. You're listening to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. We've got a really lovely show for you today. The best of art and culture, books, poetry, protest, activism. And here in the studio with us, we also have Shemaine Suleiman. Hi, how you doing? Writer, poet and editor of The Good Immigrant. We're going to be chatting to Shemaine a bit later. But first, let's go to some poetry. This is uh, our co-host Matt Abbott with his roundup of what's hot in the world of poetry and spoken word. Hello everybody, my name is Matt Abbott and I'm here with your monthly roundup from the world of spoken word poetry on Roaring Twenties Radio. There's tons of exciting stuff going on at the moment, online and in person, so I've picked out five from each of the categories, events, releases and content, and I'm giving give them to you now, but there's tons of stuff out there. If you are feeling confident enough, I cannot recommend in-person poetry enough. I've done a couple of events recently and I've been in tears on several occasions, so please do check out these events and support artists and venues and promoters because they are the pillars of communities around the country and around the world. Right, so, events. Uh, At the moment, the BBC Contain Strong Language Festival is happening in Coventry. This is an annual festival of spoken word poetry that moves around the country. Started off in Hull a couple of years ago. It's currently in Coventry. And tomorrow afternoon at 4.30pm in the Belgrade Theatre, you can see the likes of Luke Wright, Liz Berry, Emily Lauren-Jones and Pauline Black from The Selector, who was born and bred in Coventry. So that's BBC Contain Strong Language Festival. And the event that I've just mentioned is tomorrow at 4.30pm at the Belgrade Theatre. This coming Wednesday up north in Bradford is Front Room Poetry. So Front Room Poetry, as you can gather from the name, started off in lockdown and it was poets performing in their front rooms. But since lockdown has started to lift, they've basically constructed a living room set that they're taking around Bradford. So lamps, sofas, tables, etc. And they're in skate parks and outside community centres and it's free because it's outside. So it's like a public art installation, but with poetry that's outside and it's free. And this Wednesday... The 29th of September at Northcliffe Park, I'll be performing alongside Chedu Akara and Zaki Ajabin. There's also a workshop earlier in the day if you're interested, so go to bdproducinghub.co.uk if you're near Bradford and you fancy getting involved. This coming Thursday, Outspoken London return to the South Bank Centre in London, which is brilliant news. So Outspoken London, one of the best nights in the country. This coming Thursday on the 30th of September, we have Sophia, Camaria, Kinshasa, Rebecca Perry and Jack Underwood, as well as music from Michelle and Soul Collective. So that is Outspoken London this Thursday at the South Bank. On Thursday the 7th of October, which is also National Poetry Day, Joelle Taylor is launching Kunto and Othered Poems at the book club. Now, this is sold out, but there's a waiting list, and I know that the venue did release a few extra tickets, and I know that some people have been dropping out as well, so it's well worth signing up to the waiting list if you think you might be able to make it. The 7th of October, Joelle Taylor launching Kunto and Othered Poems. 
And in November, Livewire Manchester returns. So Livewire is the event that nymphs and thugs take around the country. We do it at festivals, in pubs, in art centres, in theatres, all over the place. And last time we went to Manchester on our tour, it sold out at the Edge Theatre and Art Centre in Cholton. We're back there again on the 11th of November with Tori Garbutt, Maria Ferguson, Andrew McMillan and Ella Otomowo. So make sure you're there on the 11th of November. That is Livewire Manchester at the Edge. And also, this is the sixth one. I'm sort of cheating, but I just want to tuck, uh, I just want to chuck in Verve Poetry Festival. Verve Poetry and Spoken Word Festival. It returns to Birmingham from the 16th to the 20th of Feb. If you haven't been before, it is a truly magical event. There's not really anything else like it in terms of alternative poetry and spoken word, whatever label you want to put on it. But it comes back to Birmingham, 16th to the 20th of Feb. Verve Poetry and spoken word festival so do add that to your diaries right releases the book of bad betty's is just come out on bad betty press it was edited by vanessa kasuli and anya koenig i mentioned it a few months ago because they opened uh, some submissions for people to submit poems about powerful and brilliant women uh, and it's out now uh, joelle taylor had this to say about it by far the most exciting questing and innovative anthology of women-centered poetry in recent years rich Irritable, joyous, beautifully written, exquisitely edited and curated, the Book of Bad Betty's is an essential addition to the contemporary literary canon. So if that's not enough to make you want to buy it, I don't know what is. It's only a tenner. It's out now with Bad Betty Press. Phoebe Stucks has just published a pamphlet called The One Girl Gremlin with Verve Poetry Press. Phoebe's trademark poems of high humour and hubris take on a dreamier, more abstract quality. Perhaps the wisecracking party girl of her earlier work is sensing that, for a while at least, the party is postponed. There isn't much worth staying up late for anymore in these poems instead. Our character lies awake in bed, long into the night or wakes up into a pre-dawn world that they barely recognise. This new setting is inviting, threatening and not to be trusted. So it sounds very intriguing. That's Phoebe Stucks with the One Girl Gremlin on Verve Poetry Press. Bridget Hart publishes Chewing Gum on the 21st of October with Small Press Books. Chewing Gum is a glorious queer rewriting of Greece. Bridget Hart, they are brilliant. They shared some of their work on Roaring Twenties Radio a few months ago and I'm very much looking forward to seeing what Chewing Gum looks like. Couple of sneak peek illustrations online and they're awesome. So yeah. That sounds great. On Burning Eye Books, which Bridget is involved in, as I'm sure you know, uh, Deanna Roger has just published... Oh, no, sorry. Deanna Roger is about to publish His Fingers Have Left. That's out on the 7th of October, which, as I said, is National Poetry Day. It's a bit like Christmas for us. His Fingers Have Left features five poems inspired by Kevin Elliott's plays. Each poem must be from the perspective of an inanimate object, have a poetic form, and be on the theme of sex. So, yeah, sounds good. Nice one. Deanna Roger, absolutely uh, amazing poet. And then finally, Gail McConnell, The Sun is Open, out now on Pending the Margins. According to Maggie Nelson, each page is rich with exquisite and surprising language, pain and wisdom. So that is Gail McConnell with The Sun is Open, out now on Pending the Margins. And finally, content. Uh, a conversation about Islamophobia in the UK since 9-11. This was a Guardian podcast which featured poet Sahima Manzur Khan in conversation with Nabil Abdul Rashid. Sahima Manzur Khan, one of the most exciting writers and poets and activists in the country, in fact, in the world right now. And this is a conversation about Islamophobia in the UK since 9-11. As you know, 
two weeks ago it was the anniversary of a 20 year anniversary so a lot of people have been speaking about it but uh, this is a really insightful and and important podcast to listen to it's about 40 minutes long so it's good length Writing on the Wall is a festival up in Liverpool and they occasionally have month-long writer's block residencies. This month is Toria Garbutt, so head to their website or Twitter or YouTube for videos of the Q&As and sessions to get some advice and uh, info from Toria Garbutt, who's uh, just a fantastic mind. Uh, the National Theatre of Scotland and the BBC recently produced a video called Courier Culture, which features a rookie fast food courier in a post-Covid Glasgow. It's hilarious. It was written by Kevin P. Gilday. It's not technically poetry, but Kevin is a poet, so it's allowed to be included. And the last two uh, are podcasts. So the People's Poetry Podcast Series 7 is out now. Guests include Emily Harrison and Rory Aaron, and all of the previous series are on there as well. So wherever you usually get your podcasts, check out the People's Poetry Podcast. And finally... Apples and Snakes have launched a podcast. Series one focuses on what it means to be a black British poet and spoken word artist in Britain right now. Yomi Sode is the host. Uh, that's Apples and Snakes with their new podcast, which launched in August. Series one asks what it means to be a black British poet and spoken, wo spoken word artist. I can't get the words out. Uh, in Britain right now. And Yomi Sode is the host. So that's my roundup. There is uh, a plethora of of activity out there. Uh, you know, it's been a great struggle for me to narrow it down to five in each category, but go out there and find it for yourself and enjoy uh, poetry can save the world a little bit at a time, I reckon. Uh, my name is Matt Abbott. Thank you for listening. I'm going to leave you now with a tune. Cheers. Welcome back to Roaring Twenties Radio. I'm Emma Rose and that was Nick Cave with Into My Arms. Um, you just heard Matt's roundup. Unfortunately, he's not joining us in person this month. He'll be back. But uh, Matt actually got married for the second time. <laughs> congratulations, Matt. Yeah. Matt and Maria. Yeah. Matt and Maria. Congrats, oh, Matt and Maria. Them. So that song's for them. Congratulations. And we actually have, Matt's had some time to work on his actual writing himself. Does so much for others. Um, but he's been writing a new collection of poetry. And um, so here is an exclusive excerpt from that. This is The Viaduct by Matt Abbott. This is a poem called The Viaduct, which is about a venue in Leeds City Centre. It's currently a drag cabaret bar, The Viaduct Show Bar, which is an LGBTQ space open to all. And about 20 years ago, it was frequented by football hooligans on match day. And it fascinates me how the same space could inhabit two wildly different cultures. So this is called The Viaduct. And you walk in here and just know. You don't hover. And the punters, they won't tell you, you have to ask yourself. Bodies make collisions, songs beat conversations, you either know the words to that one, or you don't. The wallpaper would sweat, now it's sequined. Dresses, from Hugo Boss to Cross. Bald patch to blonde wig, swaying in the strut. Scars are exhibited, one way or another. 
On crimson hands that looked as though they'd just been breaking bricks. On glittered hands that have just been painting nails. DIY tattoos showed swastikas. Calligraphy initials, a victim of the 80s. Pints pirouetted, dregs tossed like seeds. Flutes flying encores, shots come as standard. Nod, sip, scowl, smoke, stood firmly where you could. Wave, sway, smile, sing, dance freely where you choose. Square-inch territory, Stone Island jumpers, square-foot slut drops, size 11 heels. Uninvited eye contact could shift you straight to Jimmy's. Nowadays, it could shift you on the spectrum. Busting noses, saving face, snorting keys and breaking bands. Who the fuck are Legion United? The whites go marching on. Lip syncs and Hindus, double dates and double stubble. Who the fuck are Legion United? The queens go dancing on. The Fred Perry wreath, the Stone Island compass, the AIDS epidemic, the Stonewall riots, the Cross of St George, the Yorkshire Rose, the Union flag, the rainbow flag, the rainbow flag, the rainbow flag. Patches sewn on jumpers, stories told with craft, tits made from silicon, egos like balloons, hip flasks with absinthe to weed out all the boys, hip flasks with absinthe, unlearn the bullied boy. An altar, a hideout, a belonging, an outlet, a training course, an answer, from men who had to broadcast bollocks to those who choose to tuck, funny where some folk feel threatened. Summertime by Billy Strings. I'm going to dedicate that one to um, Richard Cripps, to Dickie, who wrote our soundtrack, actually. The soundtrack to he this did. programme yeah. is by Dickie. So if you're listening, Dickie, that song's for you. OK, so live in the studio, we have Shemaine Suleiman. She's a writer and a poet. Um, she rocks my world. She's the editor of The Good Immigrant USA. And she's also going to be the judge of the Janet Prize in 2022, which is very exciting. Um, I've got so many questions and so much I want to chat to you about um, but before we go get into any of that I was wondering if I could be so bold as to ask you to read an excerpt from The Good Immigrant. Uh, yeah I would absolutely love to. Um, so this is, uh, it's called My Name Is My Name and it's from the original uh, Good Immigrant that came out uh, five years ago uh, and I'll, I'll read a couple of uh, pages for you from, from the beginning. One September I wrote my name as it would be seen in Turkish letters and fountain pen across my desk. The teacher, a thin woman with high cheekbones, wiped it clean despite my protests that she look at it first. S with a line under it, I-M-E-N. I don't know where the desire to do so came from. My parents had never spelt my name like this nor wanted to. 
but I had seen the Indian and Nigerian kids in my classroom become Bobbies and Ziggies as the heritage of their authentic monikers was redesigned. Standardisation is the backbone of the empire, after all, but survival is forgiving. And these were kids who knew that the blow of being called the P-word on the climbing frames could be smoothed away faster with a whiter-sounding nickname. Years later, I remember the surprising tastes of the Bangladeshi food from a workman's cafe buried behind a bus lane in Stepney. The collective flavours of what we grew to know as Indian food were of course aspects of three or four nations' dishes and muted for a British palate. On TV and online, famous chefs even now attempt their own versions of such resonant dishes as jollof rice or rice and peas, one going as far as to ruin the dish and enrage Jamaican viewers by using green garden peas instead of kidney beans. Over the years... On mainstream radio stations where NWA, Souls of Mischief or Kendrick Lamar should have played, Vanilla Ice, Eminem and Macklemore did and still do. If cultures were to survive in England, it would be on the shoulders of bastardisation. This was clear to people like my parents, who understood this to mean that simplicity and effortlessness were of themselves the root of Anglicisation. They had the foresight to see that C-H-I-M-E-N-E, would sooner be pronounced chimney. That school children would sing chim chimney chim chimney chim chim charu in front of thoughtless teachers. Instead, my name was offered to the English in phonetics. S-H-I-M-E-N. They had quite literally spelled my name out. At home, my name would appear on birthday cakes and cards as C-H-I-M-E-N-E. On my birth certificate, passports and bank card, it plainly read S-H-I-M-E-N. The name itself is not a Turkish one. It was a French play written called Le Cid some many centuries ago about the tortured love between a Spanish man and woman, Don Rodrigue and Chimene. The story is essentially that of Romeo and Juliet, and my parents had enjoyed the sound of the name, perhaps even that it belonged to literature and love. It is scarcely recognised that my name is a French one. It is foreign, and I am foreign, and it is within this framework that I move. With family and friends, I am C-H-I-M-E-N-E, layered in cultures and afforded the romance of such a name. With the state, I am S-H-I-M-E-N, conciliatory and afraid that my difference is a thing of difficulty for the British. One evening, my father drove me to yoga, It was a practice then new to me, and in the freshly painted walls of an old Finsbury Park clothes factory, a white woman with long hair would fold and bend until we repeated her motions. It was as I stepped from the car that my father said, your grandmother used to work here. Here, my mother's mother would stitch clothes behind a sewing machine with Turkish women who had only wanted from life the privilege of work. Some decades later, I was rolling a mat out, as one rolls the carpet of gentrification over our ancestors' footprints onto the floor of a room of exercising white bodies. I remember laughing when the instructor closed her eyes and placed her mouth in a way to make the om sound. Others followed, and I thought how easy saying things came to them without understanding their essential nature. Words, names and their noises are careless in England. They are not put to use in the way that obstructed communities have learnt to pronounce every violence put upon us as though it is sacred. We carry our trauma in every word that we say. 
The three religions that this chant spread across did not exist in the instructor's mouth. Spirituality cannot be borrowed. Religion belongs to the cultures we are brought up in and cannot be studied and replicated without family. There is no Om without Indian dharmas, as there is no Allah without Islam, nor pull-up without UK garage, or two hands coming together to form a W without Wu-Tang. That is to say, you cannot have meaning without knowledge of the environment from which it stems. This woman was not speaking of the infinite, the world, the truth. What she meant was this is a calming noise for you. This helps you focus. This is the end of the session. It did not mean om. listening to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. If you want to tweet along and you like what you're hearing, you'll find us on Instagram, Roaring Twenties Radio, and also on, on Twitter as well at Roaring Twenties Radio. The 20 is a number two and an O, and then the S is like a little S, so Roaring Twenties Radio. So do tweet along and do come and follow us and uh, let us know any feedback, what you think about the show. Now I am here in the studio with Amma Rose and Shimen Suleiman, who who's just read beautifully from The Good Immigrant. I cannot believe it's been five years. It's absolutely nuts. I can't, I, I, you know, when I, was, when I was reading through it and I was trying to find, like, an extract that I wanted to read, it, it's really, really interesting because there's so much of it that I felt like, oh, I wouldn't have said that like that, or I didn't like that sentence, um, which goes to show just how much time has actually passed. And it's really scary because I don't feel like it's been five years and I don't know where this time has gone. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where the time has gone. I'm, I'm the same. My essay in there is Shade. And I think I would definitely rewrite some bits in my essay differently now. Now we're on this side of Brexit. Now we're mm. on this side of a pandemic. Um, it's quite extraordinary, actually. Yeah, so 2016... The Good Immigrant was published. Yeah. What did it achieve? Where did we? What happened to it? Give us a quick rundown. If someone's been doesn't know what The Good Immigrant is. Uh, okay. So how did it? How did it come about? It was a conversation between friends um, about how there wasn't enough uh, representation in publishing, uh, as well as conversations around immigrants and immigration and the fact that you're only really accepted when you're the good immigrant, yeah. when you win an Olympic award or you scale yeah. a wall. <laughs> to save a child in France yeah. um, and then you're a superhero and you've got to jump through these in, insane hoops uh, to, to become one of the good ones and the rest of us are bad or just completely erased from the narrative and how did we do it? We talked about um, we went to Unbound and we um, managed to raise funds for it within it was three days wasn't it? Yeah it was, it was ready to go three days we had more than enough money to yeah. publish it and, it's amazing uh, yeah, it was people just, power it, absolutely and, and also it's kind of it's really bittersweet for me because obviously I'm so happy that the book has done so well and has resonated with so many people and that's really important but where it's really sad for me is the fact that that many people, especially people of colour and kids of immigrants, were so starved for content and so starved to see themselves in books 
in publishing or just in the media in general that everyone just sort of latched onto this book and it's amazing that we could do that and that we provided that and we're a part yeah. of that journey mm. and that I'm so proud of that and so proud of like all of us I mean because it did it did incredibly it was a number one bestseller it it, it sparked loads of conversations so and loads many. of other books and other projects that were mirroring and 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 you know building on that conversation absolutely there's so many anthologies that have followed not just anthologies like just you know books in their own right I mean it's it yeah it's just been it's been an astonishing project and I think it's given people the voice and the safety and the platform and 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 it's also shown publishing and the media that actually this idea that oh there isn't an audience for it it's like there is an audience for it like Mm. we're here we've always been here that's such a myth, the lack of audience right. thing. I mean, across the board, I remember you've just reminded me of something I wrote totally unrelated about, again, tapping into other cultures. And um, and I was like, oh, you know, what's this new popularity? And then it was like, this is one of the most popular things we do, this exhibition. It's just that the establishment never wants to say that it's popular. Of course. Yeah. Of course. A complete erasure. Yeah. I mean, the good immigrant just smashed it. Yeah. It really did. Yeah. I remember it was just on, just completely just trending all over all social media. Um, and that was this time five years ago. And little did we know, I mean, we were, uh, um, I wouldn't like to use the word upset, but we were passionate about it. We wanted to speak up. We wanted to, yeah, maybe upset is all right to use. Yeah. We were, we were, we wanted to, you know, 21 of us got together under Nikesh um, guiding us like a shepherd, like herding cats. Yeah. And like, bless him for all the hard work he did yeah. to sort of keep us all on track and get that to happen. Um, but yeah, we had no idea in 2016 what would be coming over the next five years. And I'm, I'm really like, I, I kind of, it's like we put a flag in there in that year um, and and it's, it's, it's remarkable and exciting that they're going to be republishing it with a new cover which is beautiful it's like black yeah, and gorgeous. gold yeah 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 it's I mean it's it's also quite scary that at that point we were like oh my god everything is so bad and now we're like oh my god I missed five years ago it was so much easier like, how did we get here I know I know I'm quite curious about that moment in terms of, um, I I spoke to someone the other day and they didn't, it's like the word platform now is again something that's become slightly kind of loaded. But when you, uh, especially as a writer, and you're you're publishing stuff and you're, you're putting your opinion out there, but when it comes to things like, when I feel like when it comes to identity and erasure, that parts of yourself that across the board, I think, but particularly when it comes to race and background, that people just don't share in their writing. And sometimes I found that I didn't realise I wasn't sharing something until someone said, oh, but what about this? And what's it like to suddenly have someone go, but I want to know about that? For me personally, it's quite interesting. It's kind of almost like, well, that's mine. You can't have that. I give you everything else. You can't have that. But then once you share it, it's out there. And I wondered what to what's it what it's like to suddenly start sharing that part of yourself as a writer um yeah it's it's I mean I'm an oversharer in my writing anyway and I think a lot of that is to do with the fact that I have so I mean like like all of us you know it's like I, I have really complex issues with my identity which I think this year is the first year where I'm kind of chill about it but you know for the for the last however many years of my life has been a real like I don't know what I am everything's a big mess and I try the the only time that I can work that out is through my writing so I actually kind of want to sit down and and 
that's the only place where I want to talk about my identity and overshare what I'm feeling because that's the process for me. Um, and that's when I start to feel like I can understand who I am and then just sort of like put, put that to bed. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I think largely because I find it, I, it's it's weird. It's like sometimes I feel like I'm writing to people that I know who don't know who don't understand something fundamental about me. And it upsets me because I'm like, we're friends or we're in a relationship. Why don't you know this thing about me? Like, mm. how can I keep trying to explain this in the pub? And sometimes I feel like when I sit down and I write an essay like that, it's just so that I can hand it to them and go, here you go, this is like, this is it. So that I don't have to keep trying to kind of painfully explain myself um, like in this dynamic. So yeah, I, I'm fine with oversharing. Mm. in my writing probably just in general to be honest because <laughs> i find you you're very vocal on on social media you really <laughs> speak up for yourself and for others not just uh, um issues of race but sometimes sexism feminism sure. you're on that you're there right in the front line and in the trenches um I, you know, I I really admire you, and you're so to me like probably one of the most courageous writers I know. In that you really don't don't back down and speak up. Um, I think the thing that breaks my heart about all of this is how much beautiful work would be made mm. if we didn't have to spend so much energy yep. constantly repeating ourselves, constantly defending our space, constantly speaking up for, signing petitions for, marching for, trying to you know again. Explain why one thing or another thing is offensive. I mean, would you like to sort of talk about that a bit? I mean, the energy that is is spent is insane. Oh, it's just it's awful, isn't it? And it, it, I mean, I had a really good friend of mine uh, who you know as well as poet Anthony Anaxagoru, and he said to me, so <laughs> he said to me, I read through your Twitter feed and I can't work out if you're really brave or really crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, think, I don't know. Which, I was like a little bit of both. Um, I, like a lot of it is also because I just don't really have a have a filter as well, and I don't like more than anything. I don't like seeing other people get picked on. I don't like seeing other people in pain. Mm -hmm. I find it easier when someone is mean to me on social media. I get it all the time. I get like loads of like death threats, rape threats, abuse. Um, you know, you're a ugly Turkish cockroach and all the rest of it and it, and it happens like, it happens mm. really frequently and in a way I find that no I definitely find that easier I find that easier to deal with than I do when I see it happening to someone else I can laugh it off which is either which is a combination of a defense mechanism and a bizarre sense of humor yeah. but I can't laugh it off when I see someone else that yeah. happening to someone else. And there's the other thing as well, whereas a, a direct death or rape threat or direct racist comment directly you can sort of deal with. It's when it's nicely glossed over mm. with a nice scone and cream and scone and smile mm -hmm. that I can't handle. Yeah. yeah, when it's more insidious. Yeah. Mm. Someone sending me something like direct and blunt, I'm like, oh man, I feel so sorry for you. That's so pathetic. Um, and then I just thought, and then I ignore it and I get on with my day. But like you said, it's this insidious, like, oh, nicely packaged, yeah. like all delicate. Like, it's all rather lovely. But actually at the core of it, you're like, that, that, that's what's dangerous. That's yeah. what's really scary. And that's yeah. where, that's where place, uh, places like tokenism lives. Mm -hmm. That's where places mm -hmm. like trying to look, you know, sometimes I, I almost feel like being, people are more worried about being called a racist than actually 
making sure they're not racist. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Does uh, that sound... No, 100%. 100%. They put as much effort into not saying the racist thing and learning why it's racist as they do into defending themselves or trying... Or saying the racist thing but then trying to, to, to get sort of... Accept, to be accepted for it. Just don't... Just, just learn or don't. Just own it also. Yeah. Just own it. I, in a way, I find being around right-wing people easier than being around sort of fake liberals because at least I know where I stand yeah. with like actual right wing or, or with racists like I, I kind of they, they own that and it does not, there's nothing that's going to surprise me but you have this group of people who are actually just there for the clout and it's fashionable to not to not to be an anti-racist and they're, they're not in it you know they're, and they're taking up space that's also the kind of person who'll explain to you ex- explain it break it down for you exactly what, exactly what you know and what you've been living with for your entire life exactly explained yeah. back to you and then you're and it's almost like so this is how i'm not abusing you exactly this is how i'm not standing in your way anymore do you know what that i had quite I don't, I don't know if i've said this before i had that i this really made me laugh when um somebody shall remain nameless i'm just reading a book all, all about my privilege <laughs> And it made me laugh. Oh, so someone much. actually said that to you. Yeah. Oh my god! It's all about my privilege, and I was like, "Oh, okay." Oh, that's just so cringe. If isn't that's it? what you've taken away from it, I don't know what to say. Oh, that's just yeah, and it's it's funny because it's always I noticed that when I was living in New York, it used to happen quite a lot, where the 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 people who you know. The, white liberals who sort of show up to be like yes you're right about all of these things suddenly the moment where you say something that they can see themselves in they're like well that you're off the mark with that one that one that one you're off the mark on it's like so everything else was 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 fine when when it was sort of glaringly about a trump supporter that was okay Mm -hmm. but the second that you can relate to that you see yourself in that suddenly i don't know what i'm talking about the years of writing about this or lecturing about this or speaking studying this living it living it Mm. that suddenly it doesn't count that's the one time where i'm wrong Mm. and that you know about racism more than i do because you saw yourself in that package it's yeah that that's that's the shit that scares me more actually Mm. Mm. and um, oh i was just gonna say just in case anyone that's listening that's that's that that is you know bombarded and is feeling picked on what what do they do like what advice do you give like how how do you where's the support who's supporting you how who saves you who looks after you and defends you when you're being bombarded by in on social media for example yeah yeah um i think sometimes well just sort of logging out and i found that the easiest thing to do is to set up a time, like, if you do want to read it. And I understand that because I think there's there's a side of all of us where even though it's very easy to go, oh, just don't, just don't read the comments, don't read below the line. Like, sometimes you sort of feel compelled to. And if you do, and you do know that you want to go through it and see what's happening, set up a time to meet up with friends, have them over, go to a bar and spend an hour going through it with them and either just trying to make light of it or ranting to each other about it and then put your phone away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I either do that or I just or I just log out and I stay away for long enough that by the time I calm down and I come back, I don't actually 
need to read any of those comments anymore. Yeah, and it's all kind of boiled down again. Yeah. Because that's the thing with Twitter, isn't it? Kind of things kind of boil up and then suddenly they disappear and someone's angry, they're all angry about something else. It's very, very weird. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, or it doesn't well, go away. Or it doesn't go away. <laughs> I'm wondering if you want to talk about the latest. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's. I'm appalled that it's still going on. Yes. I am too. Um, so, yeah, obviously you're, you're referring to the, the Kate Clancy stuff. Um, and the uh, book that I mean, it's just it's just an insane story. I don't even know where to start. Sort of essentially outed herself, really, by saying I didn't write these racist words. Yes. And then people screenshotted the words, and they were like, "These are in your book." And I somehow got involved a day later, I guess, just commenting, not even on the book. Just wasn't commenting on the book. I commented on the structure of, um. You know, the uh, the lie is actually what fascinated me. The lie and how it was being used to target someone else. Yes, because then the person was then trolled because loads of people thought the person was lying. Yeah, yes. the re- they thought the reviewer was lying. And also the fact that there were loads of like successful professional writers and industry people who were joining in. To- Pitching in without... And it's like, A, has anyone read the book? Has anyone who'd read the book would have read the words well the, what was really interesting was seeing lots of like well-established writers chipping in to go i've read the book and those words definitely aren't in there and it's <laughs> like i why are you all, are you all drunk like what are you all doing like why are you all like hanging yourselves like this and for what and i think that's that's the thing that fascinated me about like you know just take take clancy out of it take the you know the publishing out of it, it it's just as a structure of a certain type of, of, of white woman who positions herself as, as fragile and delicate and within that she's actually spinning a web of lies because there is a victim elsewhere and that is historical and that is what I was commenting on. I'm not particularly interested in, in, in one writer and, and, and her mates on Twitter. It was the fact that... And it had already started, it had already started to blow up by the time that I even commented on it. I wasn't ripping her book apart. As as all of the media have decided that she's the ripped her own there. book apart, she hasn't she? Because she's rewriting it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, that's that's precisely that. Um, but a lack of apology and a lack of contrition, it seems. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lack of apology from from absolutely everyone, and I think one of the things that hurt the most was having lots of white people in our industry talk over us. And there's not a single person who actually communicated directly, not one, with me, Manisha or Sunny, not one. And they would, they'd write the articles about us, they'd tweet about us, and then other white people would join in and they'd have the conversation, whether they agreed with each other or even if they disagreed with each other, they'd have the debate. And then myself, Sunny or Manisha would join the conversation and go, could you clarify this for me? Like, you're actually talking about me. What do you mean by this? And silence. They'd like remove us from the conversation and carry on replying to the other white people. And it, it just to be not only erased like that, but also commodified because you're making money writing articles about the three of us in the same way that Clancy made money commodifying people of colour to write about in her book anyway. So we don't exist. We're just we're, we're just content. Mm. That's it. I'm not a real person. And it's honestly one of the most dehumanising degrading experiences of my life purely because it played so publicly like that 
And it's still going on now. There's still people talking about it, debating it. People are still trolling you and talking over you and about you and not actually bothering to sort of ask you to write or speak, which is why we had you on Roaring Twenties Radio today, actually. Yes, because we wanted to hear your side. Because while digging through everything, I couldn't find it. Yeah, there's no. Yeah. I mean, we haven't we been. That's, no, it's <laughs> it's true. We didn't. We no one gave us a, a right to reply. You know, and and why would they when they're changing the narrative of what's happened? Um, yeah, it's still going on. I don't know why it's going on. Still, I think partly Pullman. I think his really lovely comment likening us to what did he say would be better suited to being the critics of Clancy would be better suited to being an ISIS and the Taliban. Um, Charmed. That was such yeah. a weird comment. Why did he say that and choose those specific words like that? But it's not just um, it's not just a um, race in in the book. It's also the autistic author Dara McAnulty. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, he was um, seventeen year old. Yeah, and to to be described as jarring. I know the autistic people are jarring. I thought that was. I when yeah. I mean, I have a sister who has Williams syndrome, and I'm very protective about that and the As language be, we yeah. use. And I but just yeah. It also yeah. comes back to the idea of the good immigrant, doesn't it? Because it's she caveated. Um, I'm hyperbolizing now, but she caveated it by saying, "Oh, I'm, but I've never claimed to be a good person." And it's well, okay, well, lucky you. You don't you don't have to seem good, right? To be exactly. appreciated. Exactly. Yeah, and we're running out of time now. But thank you so much for sharing. No, not that. at all. Yeah. And we've got a track that you've chosen yes. um, now. And yeah. we're going to end the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank no. you so Just much. Just quickly Shemin. before you go, what are you working on next? Yeah. What's coming next? What should we look out for? Uh, well, I've got two manuscripts that I need to, to get on with. I've only, the, thing, the interesting thing is, I've only just come back to the country after seven years. So I'm re establishing myself. And then all of this happened. So, um, but yeah, keep, keep an eye. There is there is stuff there is stuff coming out so just keep an eye on Twitter and Instagram when it's all sort of ready to be talked about. Wonderful, we Thank will you. be doing that. Thank you. Thank you. It's Fleetwood Mac with the chain. Thanks everyone. Bye.